0: another scenario is this is the more common one real estate uh agents you know who you are you're buying those leads as a team leader and nobody's calling them and this happens this only happens 99.9 percent of the time right the team leader is upset that their agents are not following up with these leads they're not calling them fast enough they i'm making enough of those touches for these leads and, and in fairness to the agents you know, we ask them to wear a lot of hats, right? They, they, they got to be great at marketing. They got to be great at follow up. They got to be great at closing deals. They got to be great at showing those homes, managing the transaction. You know, it, sometimes as you, as you scale a team, you realize relying on people that can do all those roles is not a good idea.
1: Welcome everyone to the show. We have a treat for you today. It, it aligns beautifully with what we're doing here with the new brand uh, and some of the exciting things that we're trying to work on. Uh, he's got a, a, an interesting background and has had wild success uh, doing some amazing things. Uh, we're really excited. Honestly, uh, we were talking before we, we went live. And I was telling him, like, we're interested in your service, in your services also. So this just happened to align perfectly. Uh, We're joined today by Gustavo Gustavo Munoz Castro. He is the founder and CEO of Power ISA. Gus, for short, thank you so much for taking the time out today. and, And thanks for joining us on the show.
0: Yeah, definitely. You know, excited
1: to be here, James. You know, I
0: I love your show. You gotta you really mix it up with a diversity of, of folks on here, different parts of the equation to help solve that problem for investors. So I'm glad to be here.
1: Well, uh it's as you're going through this in real time, right? And and having the real estate background that we have and and being investors ourselves, there it the, the the business is it's an exciting time to be in the business, but the business has become complicated, right? There are so many different components of it now Uh, as the digital world continues to give us these different tools. You really have to mix it up. You have to build a strong foundation and understand everything from deal sourcing and the technology that's, that's associated with it, how to properly comp, how to properly identify, how to close. And then once you've closed, is it a short-term rental, long-term rental, residential, commercial? How do you market the, the assets? Um, and of course, how do you build the pipeline? So each one of those different disciplines carries with it a, a whole amazing box of tools. So it, for us, it's been great to, to take this journey. Um, we have a book club here, Gus, and I was telling the agents, uh, book club has had a huge impact uh, in what we do but, but the podcasting is the single most impactful thing that I've done in my 25 year career. There's um yeah. Well, and it's not even close. The, the connections that I've made through the show uh, and the things that I've learned through the show have opened so many doors, have opened my eyes to amazing technologies and, and methodologies and, and investors, and just just great people, uh, and you. Once you get in this world, there's like this amazing community of people that are just willing to help. I don't know if, if you've had had that experience in as you've you, as you've grown the company, and we'll get into your history in a moment here. But I was absolutely floored by how many people want to just offer advice and. Have you on their show? They come on your show. You know, as you're thinking about this, uh, at least for us, we were like, "Gosh, are we going to be able to, you know, land a guest per week?" And we want to have consistency. And and you know, when when it starts to take hold, you're just flooded with requests and. It's just like one guest is better than the next. So again, appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, I, I want to get into, of course, Power ISA. I want to talk about who and what you are and uh-huh. the different services and how you're doing what you do, but your, your history is really relevant here. So if you could share with uh-huh. the audience a little bit about the background, I think it will give a better context for what we're going to talk about as we, we move through the show.
0: Yeah, definitely, definitely. You know, uh, thanks for that intro. Uh, Gustavo Munez Castro, people call me Gus. Originally from Mexico, I grew up on the border town, you know, right across from San Diego, California born and raised there uh you know and and, and i speak english like a californian because i spent all my weekends as a kid uh, over in san diego i have a lot of family in the u.s so i grew up really close to that culture i went to school in mexico for engineering actually so real it wasn't real estate it wasn't business it was software because i went to school in the late 90s and if you wanted to be successful in life it was like the internet is going to eat the world right and technology is going to be you know, we were in the peak of the internet bubble. The first, okay, let's call it the first internet bubble, uh, back in the days. So, hey, I gotta go. I gotta get into this. It's gonna. This is gonna be the place for me, right? Um, and I got recruited by Microsoft uh, early two thousands, and I went up to Seattle to to work full time in two thousand and four. Uh, and it was it was awesome, right? But hey, you know, I, Microsoft, and this was a long time ago, right? You, you'll know this, James, but the people might not know. Microsoft used to be. Google plus Amazon plus Facebook plus Apple put together, right? Everything came from Microsoft. When it came to internet technology, PCs, gaming, browsers, phones, everything used to be Microsoft. It was the only game in town, right? It was, they just owned everything at that point in time, at that point, early 2000s. So it was like, yeah, it was like joining the mothership, right? Like going to the Death Star, you know, uh, on their side. (laughs) Welcome, they're welcoming you. Uh, It was a great experience, great company. I became a minor celebrity. Funny story. I became a minor celebrity in my hometown. This guy made it. He made it to, to, to Microsoft Corp. This is awesome. I, I gave a talk in my high school, so you can get, get the idea. This is a big deal. My parents were like, pff, you know, through the through the movie was was amazing. Um, however, we'll say this: great company, great everything. I was not a great software guy. To be really honest with you, right? i'm a smart guy i learned fast i learned quick i adapted to the company i started to rise through the management ranks i became a first level manager senior engineer that level it took me almost 10 years to get there It wasn't easy i got there and I'm like okay i've climbed this first mountain made it to senior i'm a manager now what's next right because i don't think i want to go to the next eight other levels um, you know, I was at a point where there's a 50% drop-off. Half the guys going to Microsoft make it to that level. The next one's not 50%. It's like 90% drop-off and so on and so forth, right? I'm going, where's my talent at? What am I good at, right? And and, and my wife is the one that really uh, jumped in. She She's from Mexico as well, joined me up in Seattle, and she became a real estate agent in 2008, 2008. And uh, it, it was a really interesting time to get into business, by the way. Oh, the world was ending, right? Yeah. Doom and gloom, it was like, you know, yeah, it was it was, it was kind of crazy. Um, and I got to experience that. I met a lot of investors through that market that, you know, the, the early short sales, REOs, that whole bit. Um, and I got to meet a lot of folks because everyone like me was afraid of the market. Oh, the world's ending. Investors took out their pocket, took out the checkbook, and they were like, like, went to town in, in that part of the country. I'm pretty sure everywhere, but in Seattle, it was, was kind of crazy. People were quite, it was time to buy It was time to buy. It was blood in the streets, you know, like I say. Um, And it was a really interesting uh, dynamic to learn. I was fascinated by it. I I didn't come from a business background. It wasn't like in my DNA. At least I thought it wasn't in my DNA. Um, My wife came from an entrepreneurial background. So her whole family were self-employed doing commerce, doing agriculture, doing any, like anything and everything. So she's like, hey, looks, let's go into this. This looks, interesting. this looks fun. This looks profitable. Let's see what's, gonna, what's going on. And it was crazy. My family in Mexico bought a property in Seattle. We helped them through that. It was our first fix and flip. You know, we we're doing deals on the side, helping all our friends at Microsoft buy property. Um, as the market started to turn, 2012, in that in that area, 2012, things got completely different like a, like a switch went off yep. and that seller's market has been going on since 2012 in seattle at least it's crazy right so that's that's when things started to turn this and hey you know this getting this is getting this is going to go to hyperdrive this is going crazy things are going nuts i was having more fun in my nights and weekends job because i got licensed in 2010 i'm a real estate agent in 2010 working full-time at microsoft 60 hour weeks monday through friday saturday sunday ish right you know it was it was, it was a tough job um but i would find time to help my wife out go help her with technology i was the i.t guy then i was kind of a i was i was i was a manager i built teams I said, Hey, let me help you build a team here um and and fast forward to 2013 and i said you know what a lot of things happened that year they just gave me this the sign like this is the time if i'm not ever going to give this a try uh now it's it's going to be never i was 30. Thir- i was 32 years old so 32 had been a corporate guy my whole life first job out of college microsoft that's been my my life the last decade and i said hey i want to try this real estate thing out i'm gonna take a sabbatical six months sabbatical gonna help my wife build her team set her up and then i'm gonna go work either back to microsoft or some other company that was my plan initial plan and it's been eight years since that in a few couple months um and i haven't looked back right i, I became a real estate agent we started our team And then we started this ISA company as a side hustle, a side project to help us and other people in my my brokerage. And then that really took off. It went kind of crazy. Um, And now I have 120 full-time employees working virtually in the U.S. and Mexico, where I'm from, uh, servicing, doing this inside sales, lead conversion, appointment setting job for investors, real estate agents, loan officers all over the U.S. and Canada. Pretty crazy.
1: Yeah. So uh, amazing story. The, you know, we we talk about this not as often as we should, but we're we're trying to talk about it a lot more now. Um, when we went through the, this is our third major adjustment, if you will, in the market. Three and a half, really. It was nine uh, eleven. Obviously, locally had a, a profound impact on the market. Massive. The two thousand and eight crash uh, had a, a, a profound impact on every market. Uh, Superstorm Sandy locally devastated. Oh, America. there we go. So, true, you're right. Uh, that was another another tough couple of years for again a number of reasons, uh, and of course, uh, you know the the pandemic has certainly presented its set of challenges. Um, but in those true resets, when you have those true resets across uh, the globe, or at least you know the country, that does create a very unique opportunity, yeah. right? In, in that few few year period. So we're, we're at a point now where, where with this new brand, part of that is a, a fund. We wanna be able to backstop uh, our agents deals and we're preparing for, we think 2025 is, is when the music stops, uh, at least when it gets reported. Um, so uh, I understand what you're saying in 2008, your wife jumping into the market at that time, um, it's a tough time, but you do, necessity is the mother of all invention, right? So uh, as, a, as an agent, and especially a new agent, you end up in the short sales and you end up negotiating these packages just because that's the kind of work that's available during that time, right? So you do get a, a crash course in, in some of the disciplines that perhaps you wouldn't have contemplated on the way in originally, um, and I wonder if that was part of the mindset as, as you got into the investment side, but now you've got, you know, essentially one of the the largest inside sales teams right across North America. Um, and if you could just take a minute to explain what inside sales means, yeah. right? I think that that would absolutely probably help. Absolutely, yeah. And and, and that
0: role, uh, you know, uh, it, it comes from the like the software industry, ISA inside sales agent, which for them means you know you're in the office making calls all day. You're a telemarketer for real estate is kind of essentially another way to to, to call that and that is the person and there's two main roles they play on the team right it's it's a single title but they can play two main roles one of them is the outbound prospecting role right they're taking truly cold lists they don't know who the hell you are that's right? just someone on their names on the list because you filtered it that way you put them on there and there's a hundred people on this list and we got to contact them and give them the pitch right we want to set up our acquisition team or or the, or the investor themselves we want to pitch it to them and just make their time more efficient they want to be attending two appointments a day they want to make two offers let's say two offers a day we Wanna make two offers every single day got to make those calls got to make those contacts make those follow-ups and get them in front of our investor uh, every single day, the outbound prospecting ISA. But no, the other role, which I think is different enough that we actually separate it and we recruit differently for it, is what we call the lead manager role. That is a little bit different because once you get, I think all investors start in that prospecting role, either they're driving for dollars or they're mailing or they're doing that kind of like you know uh, marketing to those lists. Uh, once you kind of move up the chain, you can market uh, for inbound leads. You can generate inbound leads through ads, through content, through you know, podcasts. You can generate these leads a bunch of different ways, um, but they're coming to you because you're putting that offer out there. You're making, you're putting the offer in front of them. They're seeing it and then they're saying, okay, well, let's see what James has to say. Let's see you know, what Cassandra's got out there. It's, it's, it's interesting and I think I meet that need. Let me see what they can offer me. Those inbound leads, it's a little bit of a different beast. It's different, right? It's different than that cold call. They have no idea who you are. They have no idea what the context is why are you calling me versus hey i'm calling you back it's a more of a customer service kind of experience you still got to get the offer out there you still got to try and close the deal um it's just a way different approach to do it. it's more of a diligence customer service scenario um and and, and the people who do it at a high level are different than the cold callers and they're just different right the cold caller that's a shark right that guy's like you know back hitting the phone getting they're, they're hitting their forehead against the wall 99 times a day to get that one uh, solid lead that's good to go that can make that offer happen
1: well they're, they're profoundly different roles if if you're intimately aware of the nuance that goes goes along with a cold call right and and having to basically start from scratch, and it's a certain, it's a special personality to be able to pick that phone up and and have that resilience, right? Yeah. That's that's yeah. one thing. And grit. Another, I, like, I like the
0: word grit. I like that a lot because that's that that's what that is, right? Yeah. Well, and, and interestingly enough, it's the hardest thing to determine when you're bringing someone in, hiring, recruiting, training someone, other than getting them on the phone and seeing what they do. That's yep. the only way we found. To really measure, you either have grit or you don't. I haven't found a way to teach it. If you, if you found a way, James, let me know because I have not. You find these people; they've got yeah. the grit, they've got the drive, they've got the energy to do that eight hours a day, day in and day out. It's pretty. It's impressive.
1: Yeah, you, know, you you can't teach it. You either have that or you don't. I, I completely agree. And then the second role uh, we call it our lead coordinator. You're calling it the lead manager. Uh, that's once uh, there's a, there's a a vested interest, folks. Right. This is when someone is acting proactively and they're calling inbound uh, to whatever the company is. So, for let's let's talk about what type of companies. Are you performing these services for if we could just run them down quickly one at a time uh let's take it from the top what type of companies are you providing these services for yeah so we have a couple
0: different profiles uh we work with individual real estate agents if they're i like to call them small teams because they usually have an assistant if you if you're a real estate agent your first hire should not be an inside salesperson you're probably doing it wrong probably don't have the budget for it if that's your first person you hire usually we're talking about individual agents that have small teams Mm-hmm. Administrative assistant, transaction coordinator, marketing assistant. They've got some that they're established, right? So they've, they're generating leads. Either they're prospecting based, which is awesome. I love seeing that when the agents are prospecting based. Even in this market, there's some, uh, you know, and they want to free up some of their time. They want some of that prospecting to be handed off to someone else and they want to handle the more qualified leads and they want to attend appointments. That's really the biggest thing for them. They want to hand off some of these activities. Another scenario is, this is the more common one, real estate. Uh, Agents, you know who you are. You're buying those leads as a team leader and nobody's calling them. And this happens, this only happens 99.9% of the time, right? The team leader is upset that their agents are not following up with these leads. They're not calling them fast enough. They're not making enough of those touches for these leads. And, And in fairness to the agents, you know, we ask them to wear a lot of hats, right? They, they, they got to be great at marketing. They got to be great at follow up. They got to be great at closing deals. They got to be great at showing those homes, managing the transaction. You know, it, sometimes as you, as you scale a team, you realize relying on people that can do all those roles is not a good idea it's very very fragile right so the team specializes. they've got transaction people they've got people that do marketing and they've got people that help with the lead conversion which is what that isa does they they follow up with the database they follow up with the inbounds they make the second call the third call agents can make the first call they're pretty good at that the first call Anything above and above, above that is like up in the air most times right So the ISA makes those additional calls. So we help that and that can be like a small team to a very large team a highly specialized team which I love working with because the ISA goes in there to fulfill a very specific role like great this guy calls our database and that's 30,000 people. go. that's what they want them to do. They, they have everything else handled the new inbounds the the prospect everything's handled they need the isa to fulfill a, they're, they're so specialized they need someone just to call their old leads that's it and guess what that they make a lot of money that way that's why those leads they can get a huge return on that ad spend because they're going to call those people until they buy or die right so that's a, a role that we fulfill on the retail side on the investor side uh, it's kind of a similar uh, uh, setup where we're, we work with a lot of small individual investors. And I, I classify that by, are they making the offers and are they closing the deals? Are they going belly to belly with the owner uh, and going out there and putting pen to paper uh, when the ISA gets an appointment, right? We work with investors that are like that. It's it's a small team. A small team, they're typically going to be prospecting based. They're building lists. That's the, that's the game in, the, in those stages of the business. They're building a list. Your your list building ability, list building mojo, is going to be what's going to set you apart. Or, or you drive for dollars. I mean, you're, you might be in a super uh, interesting market where you can just go around and find deals. You know, in your car, maybe, right? That, that's that's there's less and less of that now. Maybe that that maybe you're lucky, but you're usually building a list and you're marketing to that list through mailers, through through door knocking, through cold calling, and the ISA is one more way to try and reach out to that list that, you, that the investors spend some money on. That's that's a huge advantage that the investors have on a lot of the real estate agents. They know the value of the data. They understand how valuable those lists are and that it's a 100% a follow-up gain uh, to, to get that. I think that I don't have to convince many investors of that. Agents, another story. It's challenging sometimes to get them to understand that. But but the, the investor can understand. They can. I see investors pay $10,000 for databases. Fifteen thousand dollars, twenty-five thousand dollars for a, a large amount of a large database uh, for an entire county, entire state, right? Because they understand the power of of good data, like good, qualified, skip traced, accurate numbers. They'll pay top dollar for a quality list. So that's a big advantage the investors have. So we help them market to that list as the team scales up. You've got the, like you mentioned at the very beginning of the show, right? You've got the the marketing, the acquisition uh, person. The ISA is there to set up appointments for the acquisition person. As the teams grow, scale, and specialize, the ISA is there to keep the appointments full for those acquisitions people. And it could be one acquisitions person. It could be a team of acquisitions people. I think the largest client that we've we've worked with is probably like a 25-person team out of the Dallas Metroplex, working all of Texas, but they were based in Dallas, um, and they had acquisitions people in different offices, but the whole, most of the team was in one location out of Dallas. And they had multiple people on the phone going through their lists, calling their inbounds, texting potential leads, all of these things. And the, and the ISA's role was set appointments for the acquisition specialists. That was the game. They had to set a certain number per day to keep that team rolling, keep the deal flow coming. So usually that's, I mean, the, the scale changes there, James, But the role is really similar make that get the most out of that list get the most out of that those inbound leads that are coming in set those appointments
1: now we covered a lot of ground there so i think the largest challenge that deal makers are facing today, right? Speaks exactly to what you're solving for. The reason that uh, we decided to launch a new brand was we wanted to take the best elements of Cassandra Properties, it's a family owned business. We've uh, worked 25 years now, I was with the company. Um, And there is a a homegrown feel and certain elements of the personal service and the personal touch that are absolutely irreplaceable, we wanted to take the best elements of that, but we also wanted to blend it with the technology and some of this more, uh, some of the broader, if you will, approaches that would allow us to scale, right? To scale locally and to scale across the country. Um, the the most difficult thing we have found, and probably what does the most damage. To a seasoned deal maker, is all of the things affiliated with anything other than making the deal, right? There are <laughs> yeah. the, the, the the outstanding deal makers. they're they really are finely tuned machines, and they want to be in their space doing what they do. But all of the things that have to get done in order to generate that opportunity is when you start to see the diminishing returns. And as real estate has evolved over the last. 15 to 20 years, we've seen nothing but additional things that you need to do that kind of knock you off that mark, right? To, to remain competitive and relevant, uh, you have to be out there competing with SEO and with your website and with social media. You have to be out there generating leads from a wide, wide, wide array of places. When I started in this business, we got a book, that was this thick, right? When the listings came out, you literally thumbed through the entire- You, you could find deals off the MLS. You could find deals in the, I mean, I, I mean, that's when I started investing. Like yeah. I could, I
0: open up the MLS and see what deals, which one would cash flow the best. Yep. I know that sounds like a crazy term, West Coast people. You could find cash flowing properties off the MLS
1: back in the day, back yep. in the day, of course. Yep, uh, and you know, if you wanted to market a property for, for an agent, You had one or two places. That was it. You placed your ad and that was the long and short of it, right? The phone rang, you took the call and you worked it. Now, um, as there are so many platforms and there are so many lists and there are so many places that are lead gen specialists, um, the agents we found as we started to experiment more and more with different lead gen uh, opportunities they became more and more frustrated, right? Like you said, maybe you get that initial phone call, but they didn't wanna set up drip campaigns. They didn't wanna make the follow-ups. They just, they're not in that mindset. So what what we the way we solve for it was we created this lead coordinator role, right? Which was gonna vet stuff that came in before it went to our agents. And we completely took a separate division for our buyer's agents. So we have the, our seller's agent specialists, that are they're not interested if somebody calls they don't care if it's a five million dollar home if it's not the five million dollar home they have listed they didn't want to deal with showing five six eight ten other listings right they're focused and their fiduciary they feel is I want to sell this property that I'm marketing and then this property and then this and then it grows and but they want to stay in that funnel so we're we're doing now a completely separate buyer agency program because that's a totally different mentality, right? And those folks are focused on what you're talking about. When the phone rings, what's out there in the market, they, they're not worried about satisfying their seller, quote unquote, they're just going out and, and selling. Whatever it is that's presented in the market is what they're showing. Um, so w- when, let's talk about the outbound and the cold calling specialists first. I want to engage with your, fir- your firm, Gus. Um, do I get randomized people that are making the calls? Is it one specific person that's assigned to my company or my team? How does that engagement work?
0: Yeah, no, great great question. We assign a single person. So it's a, it's a, it's a dedicated ISA to your campaign. Uh, that's the only way we've ever run it. Uh, it's the only way to really build expertise in the script and the offer and the area. Um, and it usually it's those first thirty days. The first thirty days, they're getting familiar with your value proposition. They're getting familiar with the kind of lists you're calling, and they're getting you know uh, used to the area, right? You know, it might be you know, hope they might have never heard the word for Hoboken before, right? They might have never sure. heard the word, uh, you know. I, I mean, you're in part of the country that's really specific names, right? And you know, uh, uh, luckily it's also really international part of the country too, right? So maybe yeah, there's people all over the place. Um, but but you want to get you want to get some local knowledge. Local knowledge is a huge advantage in this business, right? You have to understand the area, the geography. That takes time. So those first 30 days are about getting that person weathered and understanding your team, your process, your offer, and the geography. Um, but yeah, the only way we found and they do that effectively is a dedicated person working on the campaign.
1: Okay, great. So we have a specific person, as you said, we can kind of bring them up to speed on how we do things and and you can bring us up to speed on how you're going to do things. We work on the scripts and we're ready to go. Now, do you have, so over the years, one thing we've done uh, exceptionally well is we recognized very early that data was going to be paramount, right? So we've begun cultivating lists um, years and years and years ago. We have over at this point, 150,000 people uh that we've come in contact with that we've done business with in one way or another uh over the years and we we market to them we do some soft pedal marketing to them but we've been blessed in that uh we don't really look backward to the list often the phones continue to ring so there's always those news pro- new prospects that we're, we're moving forward with but in this new model we want to get lean and mean right? We want to scale now. We want to grow significantly. We want to bring on a lot more agents. And in order to do that, I need to tap into that 150,000 person list. So um, is this something where you're taking company-based lists that they've cultivated internally, uh, or is it just third-party lists that are being purchased? And is it just phone calls or are, are you doing phone call outreach, email outreach, text message outreach, what does the package look like and, and is it internal or internal and external lists?
0: Uh, yeah, no, good, yeah, good question. Uh, it doesn't matter where the list comes from. It doesn't really matter at the end of the day. I think you have to know the scenario. Is this, when, when it's a, when you buy a third-party list that's, you know, let's say a high equity, above 65-year-old owner kind of list, I mean, that's good to know because you want to make sure you want to make sure it's accurate, right? You want to qualify the properties, you want to qualify everything. It helps to know where the list came from. But at the end of the day, you're just trying to connect with the person and, and deliver the value proposition. That's the gist of it, right? The intro is a little bit different. Or if it's a list of, let's say probates, you get those from a third party, probate list, very different phone call than like Mm -hmm. a true cold call right it's like if you connect with the right person they're going through typically a pretty bad time right so you have to show up you have to accelerate the empathy uh uh, you know listening to to the folks right but again once you're once you're past that intro you're qualifying the property qualifying the owner and i think you want to get to that as soon as possible and if the list comes from your database that is the best roi the best equity that's like amazing right so when you send 150,000, i go yep you're gonna do well james like, I already tell because that because whoever has the data the best data is gonna win right you you noticed this a while ago this is the name of the game right now even the way where like facebook and google marketing is going they they, they i don't know if you're, if you're aware of this they're doing away with their retargeting ability the the technology's gotten too good the, the yeah. people don't want to be tracked they don't yeah. want these cookies and pixels knowing them anymore. So they're recommending this is coming next year. They're recommending, I hope you've built a customer list because that's going to be it next year. There is no pixel. There is no automatic tracking. and observer. People don't like it, right? Europe is three, four years ahead of us. We're getting there. We're getting there. Thank you, Apple. Um, You know, they're going to do away with that tracking ability. Your customer list always has been your business. Now it actually is your business. It's all you actually own. Uh, You cannot rely on the platforms to tell you who your customers are. You better know who they are and you better have them in your database. So yeah, I I 100% agree with everything you said. We work with both of those. We work with both of those and we rely, the ISA is is at their best when they are doing phone calls with people on the phone or they're texting, messaging people to get them on the phone. Mm-hmm. That, that's the goal you're not going to close a deal over text message i mean you know and again some people prefer texting i think it's something like some of our campaigns 50 percent of appointments are set over text 50 sure. percent that's it's insane to me uh, this is it's doubled and tripled over the last four or five years as we've been in business you know it used to be 10 percent right the first time we measured it, it was 10 to 20 percent well wow that's impressive this year it hit 50 percent for some of our campaigns you never even talk to them the first time they talk to someone is when the acquisitions guy confirms the appointment i it. like hey great I, you know uh, Sam from my team you know was texting back and forth I want to go lay, take a look at your property at 123 Main Street no one had spoken to them since then so that that's that's the texting can work as well but you're usually calling them or you're texting them to get on the phone um, and, and make the deal happen you know qualify the property qualify the owner and see if they qualify for one of your offers and that's key all of those the only one that I think is uh, I, I'm not a huge fan of for ISAs is email because I think the automation is so good with that the the, the ISAs really uh, uh, add a lot of value there unless you have a really well-managed list where you're throwing out one-time offers or you're throwing out very actionable emails that, that, that people will click on, right? That people will reply to. I mean, that's rare though. Usually email is the long game. It's like the, 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 the nurturing, the, you're, you're giving them little breadcrumbs to, to keep you face top of mind, keep them aware of you. Uh, not really great for appointment setting. I think we measured this less than 1% of appointments we were seeing that were interacted and started from an email, very small percentage. It's really going to be a calling and texting game. The the best use of your ISA is making those calls, responding, and, 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 and interacting via text.
1: Now, are we responsible for setting up the Twilio plugin and you guys are utilizing the yeah, the, the ISA comes in and
0: plugs in like another member of your team. Uh, if you've got a CRM system in place, they are another seat uh, in that system. Uh, typically, you want you, we set up with the same dialer that you have. you have. If you already have that set up, we can help you set that up if you don't have it. Um, with some investors, we do set it up from scratch. Some team real estate teams, we set it up from scratch for them because they haven't used a voice over IP phone system. If you already have that, it's one more seat uh, in that system for you.
1: Perfect. So... so- VOIP is, of course, set up here. We've got the dialers. Um, We have a a really strong cultivated list, but what we have not done, candidly, is we have not gone out and secured lists um, from third parties with any measure, and I mean any measure of success. So do you (laughs) offer guidance on, yeah, because we've, again, we've been blessed in that way where the phones ring and, you know, the team's out there doing what they're doing. So um, for a number of reasons, we we kept the team around 2025, uh, but now we, we want to significantly grow under the new brand. So yes. this is now really relevant for us, right? It, it, like for literally us. this podcast could not have aligned from a timing perspective. Um, any better. So now we, we want to engage with you, Gus, and, and we say, okay, we've got our existing list and we'll work, I guess, collaboratively on a script for the existing list, right? To try and churn the book Absolutely. and generate new business. It's so like a rekindle. We, we call it a rekindle
0: campaign. That Those leads probably have never been called by you guys. They might even know who Cassandra is. I have no clue how they got into that list, database, whatever. That's great. That's awesome. Yeah, you have to just break the ice one sentence and get right into it. Like, just go into the value prop right away um, and try and get the the, the the pitch out there.
1: Okay, so now beyond that list, we're we're again we're talking about scale. Um, do you offer guidance on? Uh, the the third party vendors that we can go secure lists from. Is there any advice you can offer on where we should be securing lists from of, of, of clients that have had some level of success? Yeah, don't, and we, we
0: can definitely you know uh, make suggestions. I want to be clear. I'm not like a list building guru. And I don't want to you mm-hmm. know oversell. in my I, I've just worked with a lot of people that have been very successful building these lists. And for them, uh, you know, and you know, and, and I think they have an advantage in the way over you guys where they their phone never rings. Like they have yeah. no deals, right? When you've got nothing coming in, you better work those lists, you know, the bone. Right. So I think in that sense, uh, you know, again, smaller business probably, uh, but you know, they, they, they've got to find a way to get some good throughput, some good connections, some good deals out of that list. And I think one of our best, uh cases happened this year this the, the uh, single investor single investor one person the one person team we started hired two ISAs in December this is Austin Texas one of the hottest markets in the country Austin yeah. Texas uh started wholesaling in December by May of 2021 he was doing new construction deals like wow. tear downs. take take out a, a three bedroom one bath and put two a duplex or two units uh, on the property all off of calling lists, calling cold lists. He had a great offer though. He was able to outbid other investors and even retail buyers because he had, like he started just leveling up. Like he could pay more for those deals because he was going to transform them, change the footprint, add square footage. And again, this is Texas. So anything goes, bro. You can do anything in, that, in, the, in the zoning and everything. So he has an advantage there, uh, but he can really make some changes and outbid the, the competition. So what he needed was just at bat's. He needed appointments because he had a great, a killer offer. Killer offer. He just needed to get in front of as many people as possible. Didn't have the budget for Google and Facebook. Couldn't afford it. Couldn't, you know, spend five, $10,000 a month generating Google leads or Facebook leads. Distressed sellers are the most expensive on the lead to generate. We're talking about best case, $25 to $30 a pop. Best case, probably going to be a $40 to $50, maybe, maybe in, in the area you're in, James, uh, $60 a week because uh, it's just that it's a lot of competition they're expensive to generate per lead per lead so your cost per acquisition is in the thousands right o- off online lead generation you gotta be really careful with online lead generation for investors um but but yeah the the, the lists are definitely the way to go and it, it could be as simple as your title company this investor i'm talking about the one austin he he came from, he, he's a, from silicon Valley. So he, you know uh, he wasn't an engineer but he had like an engineer buddy um and they came up with some bets they said hey I wonder if we can find people high equity a certain age group certain zip code and they didn't want to go too much further than that because they had isa power right they had isa calls like oh well, let's call everyone that meets that criteria and the whole zip code and let's try and, and carpet bomb them kind of that way right so they took a, a really interesting approach to it Um, they didn't come up with some amazing algorithm or some, you know, awesome third party data provider title company, but they, they were really clear what they wanted to do. I think probably what, what was key to their success is they were able to skip trace it very effectively. They got a really high, uh, hit rate on their list, probably going to be where you are going to move the needle the most, uh, when you're talking about building these lists, you can make up the best list ever. If it's poorly skip traced, you're not going to talk to anybody or you're going to talk to the wrong people. You're not going to talk. Actually, reach the owner. Right. You're going to reach their son-in-law. Like, get off of it. I don't know what you're talking about. Bye. So so I think that's probably where. And and there's a couple of vendors that I've heard over and over again for investors that are probably doing a, a really good job with that. Um, but there's a lot of people that can do skip tracing at a, at a, at a high level. Um, I think that's where you, you want to be careful when you're list building, connecting them to a valid or multiple phone numbers. Try multiple phone numbers per record. That is going to be a key thing for success. But at the end of the day, it's you know, elbow juice, just get, you know elbow grease kind of hitting that phone and, and and making those calls, making enough calls uh, to, to really put a dent in those lists. and and like I said, if you've got to an offer, it's just getting you in front of enough people to get that. So this, this investor did 23 transactions between wholesale and, 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 and true flips, 23 transactions in those first six months with his ISAT. 23, wow. I, I, I was like blown wow. away. Cause he had, when I saw it, I'm like, he was netting $5,000 the first couple of deals. I'm like, you had no money. I said, you had, you, you were you, were a whole, you were handing these out to wholesaling these. Yeah, because as he because as he grew, he started doing full flips and the last couple of deals he closed of those 23 when you construct like nine month projects 12 month projects wow he was he was getting under his belt but he started from zero right so i was very impressed by that i like blow i've worked with a lot of investors nothing like that um and the simplicity of it and in one of the most competitive markets uh in the country it it it, it works right it works i think few people have that um They've got their back against the wall and gonna make it work. I'm gonna put the effort behind, you know, making sure that the calls get made, the appointments get attended, and you're always going for that. Again, five thousand bucks is not much. So I I know investors would throw those deals, handles off. They're not gonna go work for five five thousand dollar payday. It's not worth their time. This guy did the work and kind of grew from there.
1: Well, I love I love the the idea that uh he adapted and went from uh, wholesaling, right, where he's, he's just taking a little bit of a piece of the pie and there has to be enough room in there for that next investor to step into those shoes and to complete the transaction. But once he found, um, and it sounds like it was a lot of good old-fashioned elbow grease, but once he found the model that worked on the wholesale side, then the the premium and the opportunity there is once that model works, you do have the ability to pay more because now you become the end user, right? So you don't have to worry about that gap that you have to get these deals in at X so that the wholesaler can step in at Y and complete the transaction at Z. When you're going from X to Z and you are the end user, there's the benefit of that step All in the, the middle. Where you Step it up. Yeah. So that's really interesting. All right. So we have our list we want to work with you on. We have lists that we're going to secure from third parties. What about Facebook campaigns and and Instagram campaigns and and leads that are generated through social? Are you acting as an intermediary and calling those leads back as well? What is the experience like inside your company for that?
0: Definitely, and, and if the teams have the scale and the budget to go into online, I mean, online can be great because the, it's one of the few ones that will generate leads every single day, right? People are coming through the pipeline pretty consistently. Uh, it is it is 100% a hundred percent a follow up game at that point. They're coming in. It doesn't mean they're going to pick up the phone that day. It doesn't mean they want to talk to you right away. There might be five other investors they're talking to. Let's be real. These, especially in some of these hot, the hottest markets. So, you wanna get in front of them right away. You wanna understand if they're talking to multiple, you wanna understand you're in a multiple offer situation. So, ultra important to evaluate the property, evaluate the seller, and kind of see what what, what is it that they want, right? They've got a valuable property, who's going to be able to to secure it? Is it just about the number? Is it about the terms? Is it what the hell is it about, right? Do they want it as is conditioned? Do they want, I mean, there's always something, right? It's not always about solely about the number, it might be speed, it might be something else. So I mean, that's really, really important. I, I see a lot of those deals come through on the online, that people see it and they're clicking on your ad, they're clicking on somebody else's ad. Let's be honest about that too. So speed to lead is key. You've gotta be reaching out to them right away. And you wanna be the first person in front of them. You wanna go belly to belly because that's where the you know the investors can shine, okay? Get in front of somebody and we're coming out with a deal somehow, right? If I'm coming out, we're, we're, what are the truth coming out of here? And they're gonna have a, a sign on the dotted line. So I think that's really, really important. And that's a function of that follow-up, text message, calling, Ringless voicemail, which I'm a fan of. I love ringless voicemail. Well, you know, I don't love them as a consumer, but they're effective. They work, right? Uh, you know, you're, you're using all of these avenues for them, and you want to try and get them. and And Google and and Facebook advertising uh, is is very straightforward in the sense that you're just putting the offer out there, cash right away, as is conditions, money now, no questions asked, right? Kind of a situation. I will say this about both platforms. Facebook is much more challenging to get up and running because of all the regulations they've got around uh, real estate um, and about advertising and the kind of language you want you to use. It's really challenging to get your ad out there. Once you get it approved, I've seen people get it approved the same day, like immediately. I don't know how, but they made it happen. Um, Some folks can have to go to two or three rewrites of their ad or their creative or whatever. but, But once it's out there, you can get it running and kind of see what kind of results you want. Um, but but yeah, definitely. But again, caution for the folks, right? It's the most expensive lead to generate on Google and Facebook. It's the most expensive real estate lead to generate in those. Um, so that should give you some, you have to have a pretty good process to convert leads. Before yeah. you, you've got to put thousands, if not tens of thousands of the dollars into those to start seeing some return. And then it's gonna take you three to six months to start seeing like net positive results, like positive ROI, it's that kind of system. Uh, so you got to be really careful with that, uh, uh, you know, and, and all of that, all the implications of running a big budget marketing uh, engine, right?
1: So are are you uh, also working with um, two two different uh, lead sources entirely, right? There's the the investment play where again you put the offer out uh, cash buyers and like you said i don't want to get off on the tangent about deal making but reminder to the audience price is often not the determining factor when you're making these deals it's how you connect with that person and identify with that person upfront. It could be money, it could be time, it could be a myriad of different things. So don't get hung up on they might, like, the you the they might they like you more than the other guy. They might just like you more than the other guy. That's right. I'll take that deal. You know, I, I'm not gonna yeah. feel bad about that. Sure. Yeah. So so now let's talk about if you're an agent and you have product that you want to sell. Are you guys working in that capacity? We want to put ads up for specific properties we already have listed that either we've bought and renovated, we wanna to go to market on, or we're representing our sellers and we put the ads out and we're getting the leads in. Are you also working in that capacity? Yeah,
0: I'd say that's the majority of, of the ads that, that get run that we make calls on. I would say there's probably two categories of ads. One is the homes list where you don't have properties. You just, you, know, you, you wanna get buyer leads, uh, it's a buyer-focused ad. You're just putting out lists of properties that are backed by the MLS, local MLS. That's it. And people will click on those, right? If you if you have to craft them a certain way to make it interesting, uh, you know, the best, uh, you know, single, I don't know, two-bedroom homes under five hundred thousand dollars. You have to make it interesting for them. Or, or, or homes with the basement, homes with the pool, homes with something, right? The, the homes in your top school district around this area. Oh, I'll click on that. So it's gotta get it's gotta be attention-grabbing. Click on that list. The other one that we work with is a single property listing. Those are great. Again, a lot of these areas of the country we're, we're strapped for inventory, so anytime someone puts out a property, you, you typically don't want to put out the price. You want to leave a little bit, you know, behind. You don't want to give everything out there. Um, hey, property just listed. Attention, you know, uh, neighborhood area. You know, uh, people that live in this area. New listing coming up right now. Take a look at it. It's going to go fast. Yada yada yada. Uh, let us know if you're interested and get more information about the property. Great. They want to click on that ad. Single property ad. In some markets, single property is king because they're so strapped for inventory. In other markets, the homeless list wins. People are just, it's not that crazy. You just want the general information. You, you always got to test out both. You got to test out both because you want to make sure. At the end of the day, they're both really effective at generating buyer leads. That's what you're getting from those. Maybe for the property, but at least for your team and your business, you're generating a consistent flow of buyer leads. Depending on the market, maybe 10% of those are going to own a home, maybe up to 20 in that range. I'd say if you're anything more than that is gravy. Realistically, one out of 10 and one out of 20 is going to have a property to sell. Um, but right. You've got to build that rapport. They don't want to tell you they have a property. They know how valuable that is. They might already have an agent they want to sell the property with. You got, it's, you got, to, you got to play the rapport game. You got to build trust. You want to meet face-to-face, either at a showing or at a consultation or or you wanna uh, this in, in some markets you can run these ads where you do you run the home list but it's an off-market property list right wherever that's allowed that's a gangbusters ad i mean people will be knocking on your door to get that list right In a lot of these really hot markets so they want to meet they will meet with you to look at that off-market property you know i only show this list to my most qualified clients would you be willing to go through a pre-approval process? Absolutely. Give me the list. Give me the list. Give me more. Give me that, right? So, so you, you get, you're going to get these different kinds of buyers. And in, in, in a certain percentage are going to be double-ended deals. You want them to come clean and tell you they've got that property. I think that's probably the biggest challenge that we see. People assume that they're all buyers and they're all renters. Not true. Not so. Not so uh it just it, 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 the, the, that's not backed by any statistic a good chunk a third a quarter half of these owners in some of these markets are, are moving up they're moving up they're, yeah. they're cashing out that equity getting the next property moving to some other part of the country because of covid uh, retiring whatever it is right um you, but but i agree 99 are going to tell you they don't own a home. oh that's true i'm sure of that uh, but are you gonna get are you gonna build a relationship with them to come for them to come clean? and that's the challenge. Uh, it's
1: it's uh, it, it is such a, a relevant uh, segment that we we actually put one of our CTAs now is uh, do you need to sell in order to buy? Right, as people are looking at these homes and they're they're getting the the oohs and the ahs and they're interested and they're thinking, gosh, I need to sell to make this happen. So we put right. it right out there as one of the CTAs, and we're able to track how many people are jumping from those buyer-based ads to get them in, and then they're looping out to okay, if we want a list, what does that look like and what are the exactly. services that are offering? Oh, and it's you're a right, significant correlation.
0: Th- there's a lot of fear in that, in that scenario, right? Like how the sure. hell am I going to sell this thing? And then how am I going to buy? It? Am I going to yeah. be homeless for six months? What's that? have to get an apartment or what do you do? How do I manage this? I think, yeah. Yep. I, 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 if you're going right after them in that sense, you're like calling them out. This is, I, you better have a solution for that, right? Like, oh, no, I know how to do this. We know how to do, we do this every day. Like I, we can yep. manage that and make sure that you're, you're you're protected. That's a lot of the value that, for example, these eye buyers have. Like the the, the big eye buyer companies, that's one of their ways to get in. Like, hey, we make this super easy. You want a lease back? Get the lease back. You want get? It's all yours. It's it's seamless, and that's a big part of the value proposition.
1: And and, and if agents can do that, then that's amazing. So, okay, have you found that on the? the Facebook or the social media based leads, have you found that a significant percentage of them when the ISAs are are making that first contact are like, what are you talking about? We're we're not interested in this at all. Are Mm -hmm. you finding that there's a significant number of of those leads? Because that's been a frustrating piece of this for us. I can tell you're a
0: practitioner, right? That's a practitioner question, right? Because this is probably the number one objection with Facebook leads, because you're right. I mean, the, again, look at the context of where the lead's coming from. They're scrolling probably on their mobile phone, looking at their, I don't know, friends' pictures that they went drinking last night, their their grandkids, kids, you know, whatever, um, and, you're, and your ad pops up. They might have clicked on it by mistake. If anyone's clicked on a Facebook ad recently, they might be an instant lead form. They don't even fill any information right. out. Just click on the ad and it gets sent, right? So if, if, if you're having a, a significant issue with that, then you move away from those instant forms. You actually don't want that. The, you actually don't want those people clicking on your ad. You want to make it harder. You want, to, you want less people to come to, not more. That's the challenge with Facebook. It can seem like you want those 50 cent leads, those, you know, $1.20 leads. like, eh, you actually don't want a twenty lead. I, I, yeah. I think it's more worth it to generate a $5 lead that actually responds to you. That's a better yeah. use of your time, probably. Yeah. Where, so th- there's this where, concept called long form leads. I don't know if you've heard of it. But if you want yeah. them to jump through the hoops, and I think that's really the yeah. only. So to give an example, the typical run-of-the-mill Facebook lead, like a lead form, let's called it elite, Those instant leads, ninety percent of them are either not going to respond or they're not going to want to have any kind of follow-up qualification or any kind of conversation. Ninety percent typical response. Yep, and about ten percent of them you can have a conversation with, qualify, maybe maybe even meet for an appointment. Ten percent average. If you implement this long form thing I'm talking about, that number goes to twenty percent, and if you're in the right market, it can go to thirty percent. Right? Yeah. So if you do the math, your cost because all this we're doing the same work, whether they're ninety percent you know useless work or seventy percent useless work. Do the math on the technology, the time, and the frustration your team feels, and the cost per acquisition at the end is going to be less, even though you're paying more per lead. Cost per lead is a very bad indicator of anything, right? It's how much does it cost to get the deal. If you put more friction and eliminate more of those, I don't know what the hell you're talking about leads. It, it wastes yeah. everybody's time, everybody's time. Yeah. Uh, th- your cost per acquisition goes down. We've measured that. It's like pretty, pretty. It's pretty awesome. You can almost triple the cost per lead and you still make more money because you just close. You talk to more people. You talk to more people. The cost per appointment goes down. The cost per acquisition goes down. End of story, right?
1: Yeah, and and for if you don't have the benefit of an ISA, which I strongly recommend that you do, uh, it really that's the diminishing returns I was speaking about earlier. Your deal makers get frustrated and they get annoyed, and then they, they don't get contact annoyed. any leads.
0: Th- that's the thing. So it's not just that they get frustrated; it's they like, oh, another Facebook lead. Oh, I'm busy. I can't. They don't even call them anymore. Right. I'm talking about, you have to talk to, to nine of them to get to the 10th. They're not going to get to the third one. They're not going to get right. to the fourth. So now the return is zero on Facebook. Yep. It's not low, yep. it's zero. That's the, that's the challenge, right?
1: Yeah. So the, so the, the only ones that we're doing now, uh, we put them through a process where they click, then they have to manually input or confirm. Then they go to another screen that says, "Are you sure that yeah. you want to submit information?" Right, because otherwise it's it's maddening, and and uh, the the everyone gets hung up on on the numbers. And like you said earlier, the cost per lead and the amount of leads is it's, not what's it's, relevant. It's the process by which you generated the lead. It's having the right ISA from a team like Power ISA where. It's an instant. It's right away. Yeah. They're they're contacting them immediately. You you have a a phrase you mentioned earlier that I picked up on multiple places on your material. Speed to lead. That is the name of the game. If you're not getting back to these folks in the moment, um, your the the attrition rate starts to just fall off the table, right? So uh, make sure you're putting them through the paces, really putting them through the paces before they have the opportunity to submit it, and then you've got to get back to them right away. Okay, so. I think I've covered uh, outbound side of this pretty extensively, so uh, we're crossing over a bit here. But could you talk just just briefly now about the, the lead manager role and and some of the differences from what we've touched on uh, earlier? Although I know we kind of did cross over a bit here. It's a little bit right because I would
0: classify the, the way we 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 uh, uh, set it up is we would classify a Google campaign, a Facebook campaign, as an inbound campaign. Right, And the reason for that is because it just takes the edge off that call. It's a very different to call a Facebook lead than, a, than the cold call. I mean, if you, if you don't believe me, try to get your team to do both. Let's see which one they prefer to do at the, yeah. every day. Right. So very different kind of a personality profile, very different kind of a kind of a setup for it. And just mentally. People handle it differently, and I thought it was funny. Gary Keller, who I follow on his content, would always laugh, saying, "The internet is just another version; it's just a better version of the phone book." He, he, he could never understand why people thought that the internet leads was better than calling the phone book. He thought it was essentially the same. There's something to that, but I think that fundamentally people treat it differently, and I just I, I roll with that. I don't I don't argue with it, like Gary. Right? Um, it's a different approach. So so that that ISA is different in a couple of ways. It's more customer service focused. Right, they have more. They have to kind of bump up the empathy as well, and their tech skills are different. For me, that's a big deal because I, because a lot of times I don't know what it is about the cold callers, but they're not great on computers or grammar for that for that matter. Right? Yeah. They're like, get me on the phone. They're hustlers. They want to go yeah. into sales. They want to close a the deal. They're like, they want to talk to people and like they want to fight on the phone. Right? Maybe that's that's the thing. A thing for them. But do not ask them to follow a fifteen-point checklist to enter that lead into your system you're kind of asking for it in that sense we've gone to to the extent james to have like a virtual assistant for our isas to do data entry like that in some cases we're like it's really extreme because sometimes the disparity on, on phone skills versus computer skills can can be can be kind of steep um you know and and so that that's one big difference the lead manager has to feel very comfortable with the technology because they're managing safe searches they're managing pipelines and their job is to keep your pipeline clean. There's no yeah. leads that are, you know, that stick in any stage for more than the, a number of days. Hey, how did that appointment go, Mr. Agent? How'd that go? Well, not attended? Well, thanks for letting me know. Let me call them back and get them back in the pipeline. They, they kick them back to the ISA. There's, these leads come back if they're not actionable. No lead left behind. That's what the lead manager should do. They are gonna fix those leaks in your pipeline. Where are those leads going? Got to call them back got to call them back get them back into the pipeline get them re-qualified reset the appointment or even better live transfer them to the closer like have the closer talk to them no matter there what it is. um and and not let the time pass because yep. uh, like half the time I, I always get frustrated when the when they say hey this facebook lead ghosted me those leads are no good no my man I bet you someone with skills called that person and converted them into a client. That's why they never got back to you. They got a better offer. What would you do in that situation? A lot of these ghosted leads, I mean, they're ghosting you because someone beat you to it. I think that and, that, and the lead manager is to help stop that from happening for you and your team.
1: Some of the, some of the, the best leads that we've had, uh, our lead coordinator, right, uh, was through live transfer. Not giving them the opportunity to get off that damn phone, getting them directly. They're they're hot. They're there, right? You want to have
0: it, and also you get rid of the of the of the. I guess the um, handoff problem. That's a big problem. Handoff is a the agent is treacherous. Treacherous, right? Live transfer, you're done. There is no handoff problem. You're right there. Like the handoff is ten seconds, like five seconds. Hey. Got a live one, he's looking for a home in this area. Boom, get him on there and just introduce them like immediately um, and hand them off. The most effective thing. I think for our team, um, you know, I think the the goal has been for Facebook. This is just generic Facebook, 10% conversion to appointment. And of that 10%, half has to be life transfers. Half of converted leads have to be live transfers. Um, and that's a solid goal. Uh, you should have, I mean, and I've I can teach my ASAs to do that you guys, you should, you should be teaching uh, your agents and your in-house ISAs to at least do a number like that.
1: Okay. So on the lead manager side, um, we want to engage. We want to bring, bring in one of your, your lead managers, Gus, are you going to um, have the expectation that we're going to tell the lead manager, the process and where to look and what to do, or uh, does the lead manager offer advice and say, hey, I've seen before, here's different ways that we can do this. And are they going to get into that side of it as well? Or is it strictly they're doing what they're being directed to do?
0: So I think the where it works the best, to be really honest with you, is when you've got an established process that the ISA plugs into. That has been the best experiences that we've had. And the likelihood of success and speed is much better. If your things are kind of like sideways, what, number one, we, we try to fix that before the ISA gets in there. So we have an onboarding process. I mean, you're, you're talking to expert members of my team, my staff, not the ISAs. They're like, oh, wow, James, you've got a mess here. we are got to clean this up first, right? That's the first step. Um, you know, because we don't want the ISA to have to go and problem solve in that in that respect, like, what's the right way to manage this database, we want to avoid that, yet, depending on the experience of the ISA, they might come in and say that right, but we don't want to bank on that right that yeah. Oh, yeah, they've got they've been through uh, five different, you know, uh, campaigns, um, the best ISAs don't change campaigns, we're always bringing in new people forming them teaching them training them getting them ready. Uh, that's another key thing, I'll, and I'm being honest with you and your and your audience. The best ISAs don't become available. You're always training new folks with talent, the raw skill set. They can jump in and do the job. I feel, someone asked me, me Give me one of your experience ISAs. You know, my bet, the best ones. Those guys are have jobs they've got campaigns they're killing it for campaigns what do you think is going to happen with those guys says? they're going to jump jump off the next day of course not right so you, you, there is a level of ramping up and onboarding that happens on the campaign and that's why my experienced staff campaign you have a campaign coordinator that just manages the relationship with the client of the campaign they've got a supervisor they've got a customer success manager that just handles inquiries from the clients helping out all of them have done the isa role by the way they were all promoted out of being great isas which is why they're in those positions and we have a quality control team also staffed by former isas so you're not going to get i mean we've got a lot of controls in place to make sure that these guys do a great job so so a lot of it a lot of it is that we helping control that we can handle um and yes a part of it is hoping that you guys or at least helping you guys get your ducks in a row and have a good a good a good business right
1: So yeah, but without a doubt, I love the idea and I'm a big believer in, which is why I take the time to go through these processes myself. I've educated myself on each one of these things because as a deal maker, I've been on that side of it and I've Mm -hmm. kind of graduated to a different role now where I'm trying to pull it all together for other deal makers that, you know, I've been blessed to, to have on my team. Uh, so I, I understand and appreciate very much the way you're structured. Let's talk real quickly if we can. How are you handling time differences and the, so speed to lead, right? Leads are coming in if it's not a list, right? So that's easy to solve for. But if it's a campaign where the leads are coming in, what hours are your, uh, your ISAs available to respond to these leads as they're, they're populating into the CRM? how do you handle ah really good
0: question so we schedule our isas that are are, are, all of them are are full-time employees with us so we schedule them out for nine hours a day that includes lunch break that includes a couple of breaks we do not allow the isas to be in the seat on the phone for more than two hours at a time you get diminishing results it's a very bad idea they're going to be burned out it's going to be tired got to get up 15 minutes walk, go to the bathroom, get a snack, re-energize, recharge, right? It's not useful for anyone to be on the phone for more than sitting down in the desk for more than two hours. Not healthy, not sustainable. That's number one. And they get a lunch break and they get those two breaks in those two chunks of time. How we shift those nine hours, I think the earliest we start is 7 a.m. Central time and the latest we go is 11 p.m. Central time. So that usually covers... A good chunk of the of the country, uh, U.S. and Canada, for for the most part, you're always going to get leads coming in outside of those hours, a hundred percent. I think the latest would go. This this might have been like a like a campaign out in the out in Hawaii because we would do like the night shift for one of one of these teams. Because like the, again, Hawaii is a weird market. You get people from all over the world wanting to go to Hawaii, yeah. so they would get leads literally 24/7. Like they'd get a lot of leaks 24-7. So we were recovered one of their, their night shift for them because we're like five hours, seven hours uh, ahead of them, right? Sorry, I think it's five hours ahead of them. So I mean, it's a little bit of a unique situation, um, but typically we're going we're gonna to man that phone, man that CRM from either 7 a.m. at the earliest all the way through 11 p.m. Central time at the latest. Um, and if people need more coverage than that, um, we would like do a combination of either two full-time people that overlap or a part-time and a full-time. And then, and then weekend coverage is another request that we get. You know, very common sure. request. Um, you know, we have campaigns that either run Saturday, Sunday, and then another three days. So we'll take the middle of the week off. That's one option, the most cost-effective. Or we have seven-day campaigns. We have lots of those too. We have a weekend person, right? Okay. And we got a full a Monday through Friday person, weekend person. But this is another thing that I'm, you know, going to share with your audience. To be really honest with you, the best people want to work Monday through Friday. That's just a fact, guys. That's just yep. a fact. There is a stark yep. talent difference between my weekend guys and yep. my Monday through Friday guys. Because a Monday through yep. Friday guy, they got to pay their bills, they have months to feed, and they're going to get the job done no matter what. And, and, and the weekend situation might be a little bit different. I'll just leave it at that. So I mean, weekend coverage, you can help with that, but your money's going to be made Monday through Friday because that's where the talent uh is and that's where they want to work.
1: Okay, so you you answered both components of of the the time difference in the scheduling, because these campaigns, um, something, again, a lot of folks don't know when you, if you go in and you stop a campaign, uh, for more than, I think it is 36 hours, uh, Facebook restarts the algorithm and you're back to ground zero, right? As you're yeah. running these campaigns, like the frequent pauses,
0: hours, it, they hate that. The, the, right. The, algorithm the smarter like you.
1: Right. The smarter your campaign will get. So pausing it on weekends, and I'm, I'm glad you have a solution for that. Um, it can be damaging to the campaign uh, over the long run. So last question um, is, is pricing. Uh, how, how do we get pricing? Because, I, I, again, I, I want to engage with you here now as we scale. Uh, I want to sure. be able to contact you and, and, and go through this. So how do people um, find out pricing and, and what's the best way for people to reach out to you beyond me to the broader audience?
0: Yeah, so, well, you know, I, I don't want to share pricing
1: on the air because they might be listening to this a year
0: from now, right? And I want to, yeah, sure. to myself, uh, but it's on our website, PowerISA.com. Uh, take a look at the section on, on our services, what we offer, and all the pricing information is going to be in there. That's the place to go, PowerISA.com. That's also the best way to reach out to us, get in contact with us. We also have a free Facebook group. We'd love to have that people join. James, I'd appreciate you drop a link in the, in the show notes. You can join our free Power say marketing mastermind Facebook group, where we talk about all these things, calling and dialers and lists and Facebook marketing and trends in the industry. We're talking about iBuyers this week. I mean, a lot of stuff going on in that group. Um, you know, Love it. Love have people join. That's another way to kind of continue the conversation um, and learn stuff from what we're doing.
1: Well, you'll definitely catch me in the group, and I definitely will be reaching out. Gus, I, I can't thank you enough for the time today. This has been, uh, uh, for me, it, it, uh, it couldn't be better timing, super informative. Uh, I think the audience is going to get a lot of value out of this one. Gus from com. thank you so much for your time and, and for your, for sharing so candidly. Uh, with the audience. Yeah, this was a great one. Really appreciate. you. Yeah, I appreciate it. Love it. Now you do a great job. I can tell you're a practitioner. Those are the best conversations. I had a lot of fun. Thank you, James. Thanks so much. As always, everybody out there, please stay safe.